For podcasts, articles, and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. On Fire. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire on News Talk STL. Well, welcome to another episode of uh, Mark McCloskey on Fire. You know, it's been kind of a light news week. I don't know what the heck I'm going to talk about. We, we, we could start with, uh, with like Joe Biden falling over his own feet at uh, the Air Force Academy. You know, and then he gets up and he points at a sandbag. The real sandbag he should have been pointing at was the one between his ears. But, you know, I've done uh, traumatic brain injury cases for the vast majority of my, my uh, legal career and still do it. But, you know, when you're a man of his age and you have a fall where you strike your head, and uh, I'm told that afterwards he was holding his head in his hands. So he, he hit his head and he had a head injury. You know, it would be it would be unusual for a man of his age to take a blow like that to the head and not have a subdural bleed. So if I were Joe Biden, I'd be very careful for the next three or four days. You know, I had an interesting case many years ago. Guy about his age fell at a car dealership six weeks before all of a sudden he started slurring, and they shot a CT of his head. Great big subdural, drained it on one side. As soon as they did that, the release of pressure caused him to start bleeding on the other side. Six weeks later, started slurring again. So, you know, we, uh, we may be in for an interesting time. Of course, uh, with, you know, they probably have a CT machine next to his bed, right next to his IV and that bucket of pills they give him to get him up so he can speak for five minutes in a row. But, you know, best of luck to, to sleepy Uncle Joe. I hope he's not seriously injured. I just hope he decides not to run for election. Or, you know, maybe he should resign and then we'll get the illustrious Kamala Harris as president. Wouldn't that be a gift to the, to the Western world? So speaking of the Western world, what I was really going to talk about today before Joe Biden interrupted me was, um, you know, the crisis we have in this country now of having two separate countries. And when I was growing up, and I grew up here in Missouri where there was, um, you know, there was no overt segregation that I can recall. There weren't anything like black and white restrooms and black and white soda fountains and black and white drinking fountains and all that sort of thing. Um, but we were always we were always looking for a an integrated society where we did away with separate but equal because the uh, African American population did not believe that by being separated by race they could be equal that by definition if you segregate people by race you were making them different and of course the uh, the party line for both parties throughout my lifetime until recently was that there should be no difference there is no difference and we should treat everybody exactly the same and we called that color blindness all right and lo and behold, now colorblindness is racism. Lo and behold, now colorblindness is a definition of white privilege. Because if you don't segregate people by race, you segregate them by oppressor class and privilege class. You got oppressor, oppressed, you got white privilege, you've got, uh, what's the euphemism these days? There's three groups. There's uh, um, African-American, indigenous people, and people of color. What, I, I'm not quite sure how those categories get broken down. What, what, I don't know what color you have to be, and I don't know how much percentage of any of these things you have to have. Um, but nonetheless, because you're not supposed to intellectually interpret these things, you're supposed to just re- repeat them by rote and, uh, and just accept their definitions, even if there is no deposition, death, even if there is no um, uh, designation or any, any criteria. But the, the thing that's amazing to me is now that there's, there is state-sponsored racism everywhere in the name of racial equality or 
not equality, because equality makes sense, right? It has to be racial equity. And equity means that we, dis, we, we just disavow ourselves of any sense of, of logic or reason. We uh, don't uh, 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 actually test anybody's abilities or, or rate people by, by content of their, of their thought, because that's meritocracy. You can't have merit as a basis for doing anything, because it might show some difference between races, and therefore it's inappropriate. Well, what we now have is this movement for reparations and equity, which is not a movement for reparations, but it's a movement for revenge. More and more you see people in high political office, mostly appointed positions in the government, and high positions at corporations, who view their jobs not as creating equality between the races, but in creating equity, meaning inequality between the races, and, and impose subservience to the, uh, to the concepts of critical race theory and the concept of systemic racism. One of, one of my, my current examples is, uh, um, you know, I'll digress. I'll ask you this question. When was the last time you saw a director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at any high government level or any high corporate level who wasn't African-American, right? If you want to have equality, if you want to have equity for that matter, if you disregard equality, um, how can you have 100% of people in one category of jobs be one race? I mean, that would seem to be a little inequitable to me. If, if uh, African-Americans make up 14 to 15% of the population, then shouldn't they be only 14 to 15% of the uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion officers? But now they're 100%. Well, there may be an exception here or there, but virtually 100%. Just like in most major cities, like in the city of St. Louis, for example, or, or New York or Chicago, for that matter, all the uh, top elected officials happen to be African-American, um, regardless of the fact that, for example, here in the city of St. Louis, more than 50% of our population is not African-American, and yet nonetheless, they control City Hall, they control the circuit attorney's office, they control the police um, and they control everything while at the same time bitching and moaning about being oppressed and bitching and moaning about not having an equal shake and bitching and moaning and needing, needing an unfair advantage over non-black indigenous or people of color because they've been oppressed for so long, even though they run everything. Well, here's another concept. How is it that when they achieve those positions of authority, including being mayors or chiefs of police or circuit attorneys or district attorneys or just United States congressmen like uh, my friend Cory Bush, how come they're constantly using phrases like our people, our community, um, our, our culture, um, black culture, black community? What if, what if white Americans, when they achieved high political position or high positions in corporations, talked about white communities, talked about our community of white people, talked about our, um, our interests as white people. They would be immediately, the first time you mention that phrase, it would be the last time you're ever in politics, be the last time you ever had a private sector job. You would have to go on the apology tour that moment, and you would be destitute the rest of your life, and you'd be, uh, you'd be part of that uh, white supremacist clan that the government now claims is the greatest threat to America. Um, but, you know, uh, it is now appropriate in this country for African-American people to be openly racist. And the more openly racist you are, the better your chance of getting high government position. My, my favorite is that uh, there's this woman who's now the uh, diversity 
uh, and inclusion head of uh, the Defense Equity Department for the Defense Department of Defense Education Wing. This young lady's name is Kalisha Wing. Amongst other things, she writes children's books. She's in charge of education for people in the military. Now, you know, when I was running for Senate, uh, Congressman, now retired Congressman Vicki Hartzler, was always talking about how uh, on the uh, 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 Defense Committee she was passing legislation to prohibit the schools run by the Department of Education from teaching uh, critical race theory. And I applauded her for that. I thought that was a great idea. But now we have this woman named Kanisha Wing, who is the Department of uh, Defense Education uh, um, Equity Chief. She has uh, an openly racist position on just about everything. She, was, uh, she posted, uh, amongst other things, that, quote, I'm exhausted with these white folks in these professional development sessions. She talks about how this lady actually had the caudacity, C-A-U-D-A-C-I-T-Y, Apparently that's a slang term for white people that have the audacity to talk up and not just accept as wrote everything they're told by uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion people. She says this, this lady actually had the caudacity to say that black people can be racist too, right? I had to stop the session and give Karen to business, business being in all capitals. We do not, we are not the majority. We don't have power. All right. So black people, even when they say, for example, um, they're, they're sick and tired of white people. They're not being racist. Even when they say, like the uh, young lady that was seeking to be appointed uh, by the uh, Biden administration, who when she was at Harvard wrote that black people are genetically and inherently superior to white people, that's not being racist. So, you know, uh, she continues and says, um, you know, if another Karen tells me about her feelings, I might lose it. She calls uh, President Trump the uh, whole boy version of Karen and former Secretary of education, uh, Betsy DeVos, um, the queen of Karens, okay? Um, she, she, amongst other things, um, even though that she is the, uh, the chief of diversity, equity, and inclusion for the Department of Education, she writes kids' books, right? She writes a kids' book called uh, Racial Justice in America, What is the Black Lives Movement? Which, amongst other things, said that uh, uh, the vast majority of the George Floyd riots were peaceful protests and, and didn't do any damage. She wrote another book called What is White Privilege? And this is what she's teaching the kids, okay? Um, uh, uh, white privilege hurts lots of people. If you are white, you might want to feel bad about hurting others, or you might feel afraid to lose this privilege. Um, and then under the title of What is White Privilege? Um, uh, and then she particularly blasts white women. She says that white women are, quote, justly seen as oppressive and, quote, enjoyed unearned skin privilege, unearned skin privilege. Well, um, uh, her co-author talks about that, um, uh, lamented that white students are not taught in schools to see themselves as an oppressor or that they participate in a damaged culture and are unfairly advantaged, uh, that, that, that uh, she encourages this is, this is the, uh, the chief of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion for the Defense Department. She uh, uh, states that white people must, quote, spend, unquote, their privilege by becoming social justice activists. Address how your identity can help you achieve racial justice. That, that your privilege is like a bank account. That because you were born white, you have all this inherent wealth 
and you have all this inherent uh, privilege, and that what you need to do with your life is spend your life divesting yourself of your whiteness, divesting yourself of your social privilege. Um, and only then can you actually be not a racist. Um, but no, that's what they actually say. So you, you, got, you, you have here now the, uh, the uh, Defense Department hiring this woman to be the head of um, diversity, equity, and inclusion for teaching the kids of soldiers what to think and what not to think. So the DEA was, uh, or DOD rather, uh, the director of the Department of Defense Education Administration is a gentleman named Thomas Brady, okay? Given the fact that uh, this woman is openly racist, given the fact that she has insulted and, and demonstrated absolute disdain for white people and white women, Thomas Brady said, Kalisha Wing is exactly the right person to lead our efforts in building the foundational work done to support meaningful change in our organization. In other words, brainwashing children. So then we get Target, right? Target's gotten some flack in the recent days for uh, having uh, uh, rainbow exhibitions up front, not to mention actually doing business with the devil, hiring as a consultant a person who's actually a devil worshiper. But the uh, diversity and uh, inclusion chief for Target is a young lady named, uh, let me get it for you here, um, Kaira Fernandez, okay? Um, one of the hardest things in the world to be every day is black. Um, she says that uh, um, the task force she, that she's in charge of focuses on engaging black customers in stores and ramping up promotions and hiring of black employees. The retail giant also promised to drastically increase demographics of black employees. To increase drastically its demographics of black employees, which now stands at 50%, okay? Half of their employees are now African-American. They want to drastically increase that so they can create equity, even though the black population of America is 14 to 15%. They also want to go further, and for all their third-party vendors and contractors, they want to increase that to 50% um, for, uh, for uh, minority contractors or for black or people of color. Uh, including marketing agencies, construction companies, facilities, ma maintenance, and more. She's, she's uh, proceeded to say that it was a role of white women to call out the transgressors. She then, you know, while she's given this presentation, she calls out a white woman present in the panel and, uh, and told her that she needed to accept the fact that she was a racist because she was white. Well, I've got more and more examples. How about Jane Fonda? Jane Fonda this week uh, said that uh, the world would not have climate change without uh, racist white males and that they should be arrested and put in jail just for being white and male and running oil companies. Um, and then you've got a law professor at Howard University who says that uh, they need to create a new bar association, a second bar association for people of color made up not just of lawyers, but of lawyers and lay people so that they can extract from white people an apology and reparations, but not on their terms. Quote, this is what he says. We need to have apology and reparations, but not on their terms, on our terms. In other words, revenge. In other words, we feel that we have a right to control your life, 
to intimidate you into agreeing with our political position, to give us $5 million apiece in reparations, and then to apologize for it because that's not enough. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is a war. They want to make it a war. They want to create a race war. And it's not to anybody's benefit to have a race war, but it will be the end of our civilization as we know it. But if you look at your computer, you look at your cell phone, every day you see every entity pushing for more division between whites and blacks for the purposes of creating a fight against racism. God knows you your eyes about a Get more Mark McCloskey at NewstalkSTL.com. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire on News Talk STL. When you hear the music, you make a difference to someone else. For podcasts, articles, and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. Mark McCloskey on Fire. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire on News Talk STL. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome back to Mark McCloskey on Fire, News Talk STL 101.9, 94.1. And I just, uh, you know, I spent the last segment talking about institutionalized racism. But, of course, the institutionalized racism we face these days isn't the oppressor white class putting down the, the poor blacks. It's the, uh, the black executives, the black government officials, uh, the black directors of diversity, equity, and inclusion um, who are constantly trying to put down the evil white man, particularly white man. And now the, the focus has been on white women as the oppressors, that they haven't realized that they are oppressors enough, that they promote uh, white supremacy by being married to white men and liking the fact that maybe if their husbands are successful, they'll live better. And they have to learn to apologize for that and strip themselves of their white advantage and their white privilege and, and sacrifice so that they can, they can truly achieve um, what racism? No, I'm sorry. Um, not racism. No, I'm equity. I don't know. Um, that they can make black people powerful and wealthy, which is what all this is geared at. But there's, there's another aspect of this that, that has been troubling me for a long time. And that is the, uh, the absolute dumbing down of America. The, uh, well, let me do it this way. If you, if you don't ask yourself the question of why, for example, do African Americans do worse on standardized testing and do more poorly in high school and every grade level um, than the average white person. And let's, let's assume that we don't get into the argument of uh, nature versus nurture and poverty and bad school districts and all that kind of stuff. And the, the, uh, the, what we were told when we were kids that one of the reasons why black kids don't do well in school is that they don't have people like them teaching them that they needed more um, uh, minority teachers and more minority administrators and, and, of course, now in, in most uh, um, inner-city school districts, it's all minority-run and minority-administered. So that, that argument may not carry much water these days. But regardless of how you feel about that issue, regardless of how you can explain that African-Americans do more poorly in school, and however you want to explain why African-Americans make less money than white people um, on average, if in fact that's true, um, the fact of the matter is it exists, Okay. And so instead of recognizing that and trying to find some way to fix it, saying that we can identify the root causes 
for the failure of the, of the education system in inner cities. Or instead of saying we can find the root causes of why African-Americans and indigenous people and, and people of color, whatever those phrases mean, we, can, we can't get to the root cause of why they don't succeed in the American dream the way other people do, the way that other, for example, immigrants do, for example, the way that people that come into this country with no English, no money, but work hard and achieve, why they can't achieve that same level of success. Instead of looking into the root causes of all these issues and trying to find a solution, what the, what the racist um, diversity, equity, equity, and inclusion clan does now is they say in order to eliminate the disparity between blacks and whites in education or, and income, we have to do is eliminate any way of testing for those disparities. And so you'll know that um, um, school districts get rated on what percentage of their kids at various class levels um, score at grade level. Well, then you have to ask yourself, what is grade level? Grade level just means what the average kid is doing these days at that grade level. And, of course, that's been going down and down and down and down. And then when you find there are school districts like in Baltimore, Maryland, where zero percentage of the high school graduates can do simple math, reading or writing at a high school level, um, and they say that that's below grade level. Well, if everybody is below grade level, grade level has to be adjusted down. And so that's what happens time after time after time. And so now there's all this, first of all, back as long ago as when I was in um, college and I had degrees in sociology, psychology, and criminal justice. One of the things that was being debated all those, you know, now 40 years ago was the validity of IQ testing, okay? Would the, were IQ tests, were they really objective standards of intelligence, or were they biased because of uh, a white Western culture bias? Well, the answer is a mixed bag on that, but one thing that no one argued was that it was a really good test of how well you will succeed in college and later in life. Because, go figure, if you're going to do well in America, maybe you ought to know th something about how America works, what works well in America, how to succeed in America, and how to succeed in your own life. And so the kinds of things that the IQ test tested for were directly those things that would make you successful in your lifetime in America. It may not be the same if you wanted to do a lifetime in China or Uganda or maybe even Australia or New Zealand, um, but certainly in America, IQ testing was a valid test, but it showed disparities between races, and therefore there was a lot of backlash against IQ testing, and so people don't do IQ testing anymore. I don't even think the Army does IQ testing anymore. But there has been recently a trend towards not doing any kind of objective testing. No test scores in the school, no ACTs, no SATs. Most alarming for somebody in my profession, no LSAT scores anymore. Um, law schools or the ABI, the ABA, the American Bar Association, has decided that it's uh, racist to have people take the LSAT to determine who gets into what law schools, okay? Well, and, you know, the same people are pushing for no um, SATs in high school, no ACT tests, no objective testing whatsoever, because what we're supposed to have isn't ranking based on merit or ranking based on ability, we're supposed to have an even playing field, which means it's tilted towards those people that uh, perform less well on objective testing. And so in order to have an equal, a level playing field, we have to 
raise that playing field up at one end and shake everybody down towards the middle. Well, there is a, there is a problem with that, right? And the problem with that is that if you constantly move the bar lower and you constantly require people to have to jump less high to succeed, the amount of success that can be achieved is reduced as well. And there's just absolutely no other, no other way to describe that. If you don't, if you cannot rank people on how well they achieve, then you have no way of a finding out who needs to go in what kind of a position, who should go to law school, who should go to medical school, who should become airline pilots for that matter. Um, and, and all kinds of other tasks or who should be a bricklayer. I mean, uh, the, um, uh, let's go back two generations in my family. My, my grandfather on my father's side was a pipe fitter, worked for Maytag Company, did manual labor his whole life. Uh, his son, my dad, got drafted by the Army. They tested him. They put him through school and medical school, and he had a spectacular career. He could have just as easily have gone back to work like when he got out of the Army uh, and gone to work with his dad at Maytag with a, with a pipe wrench uh, and, a, and a hacksaw, but uh, uh, testing had some benefits. Well, the problem is that if, you, if your goal is what's called equity rather than meritocracy, you can't have testing because some people will do better than others. And if some people do better than others based on race, then that's racism. And so the way you eliminate that racism is by you eliminate the testing. If you keep your eyes closed, you can't tell which direction the sun comes up from. Um, and, there, and that's the solution for everything now. Eyes closed, minds closed. Um, but... Um, if everybody gets tested equally, what would be the incentive for people to work hard? If, uh, if, if I know that I'm not going to get a better grade than the next guy, even if I spend 10 times as much effort working towards it, and I don't have, it's not going to enhance my ability to get into a better college or get into a better job, then why the heck would I work so hard? What, what it does is when you lower the standards, you lower everybody's incentive to achieve that higher standard. And therefore, you reduce the common denominator, and it just is a self-feeding problem. My, my, uh, my favorite current example was uh, voiced by a guy who's supposedly the world's most influential psychologist. This is a guy, Professor Roy F. Baumeister, world's most influential and most cited psychologist with expertise in human morality, According to biography, he's published over 700 scientific works, over 40 books, and previously worked for Florida State University, although he's down, down under in Australia now. What his, uh, his premise is, is that everybody should be graded the same. He says, giving lower grades to black students, that professors who give lower, grade, lower grades to black students must be, quote, scared into becoming anti-racist, that... Uh, that um, in that people need to do an equity audit, that all professors should be audited based on how they grade scores based on the race of their students. You know, when I was going to school, the, uh, the tests were, were blind scored, meaning, and I did this myself, when I was senior advisor in the sociology department, I scored tests, uh, I scored the, uh, the final exams and, and the uh, courses under my control, and they were blind. You didn't know whose test they were. You didn't know who the student was that filled them out. And so I, I presume, I mean, it's been a few decades since I've been going to college, but I presume that's the same now. And now I suspect that instead of handwriting, everything's done on the computer, so you can't even tell by handwriting who the student was. And I had the worst handwriting in the world. Anybody would have known my handwriting. 
But these days, I suspect you can't even do that. But the point of Dr. Baumeister is that all college professors should be audited to see if they score black students at a lower level than white students. Well, let's, let's take this and analyze it for a little bit. Let's say you're a black student and you came out of the Baltimore, Maryland school system. And you have, you're a senior in high school, you're applying to colleges, but you can't read or write and you can't do additional subtraction because you can't do any of those things at a high school level and you've just been pushed through by a failed education system that really doesn't give a rat's ass about you. They just want to collect federal money. But now it's time to go to college, right? And you go to college and you're doing the best you can under the, with the handicaps that you've inherited from a system that has abandoned you. And you're, you're trying to get along with people that went to real schools in real areas. And the best you can do, let's say on a given test, you'll do 25% as well as the, uh, the average kid that went to a good high school. Well, the, the professor gets audited and they say, hmm, all your black kids from Baltimore did more poorly on these tests than your white kids that, that grew up in, you know, let's say, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And therefore, you have to adjust their scores. So the guy that got 25% on the test that went to Baltimore High School, he gets an A because he's the highest rated guy in, in his demographic. The guy that went to, uh, say, Pembroke Country Day School, who got 100% of that test, he gets the same A, okay? So what, what value is that in, in trying to work hard to get that A if you're going to be scored the same as a guy that got a, a, uh, an F- minus on that same test? Then to take it one step further, let's go to graduate school. Let's say you've now gone through a college where all the professors have been frightened into it because it says um, – this guy says his goal is to shame, quote, shame professors into becoming anti-racist. Quote, the anti-racist bureaucracy may pounce. He says, if you're a racist professor reading this, I have no sympathy for you. Professors should be ready for the humiliation to happen. I think it's coming. I think that's where the bureaucracy is heading. Innocent heads may roll. This is a direct quote from this guy. The, the blog is designed to alert non-racist professors to the danger of being unfairly labeled racist, meaning his goal is to make the standard so severe that even people that are not racist will get caught up in it and, uh, and publicly humiliated and fired for it. Well, think about this. Let's think you go through four years of college where your grades are artificially inflated because of equity and not because of merit. And now it's time to apply to medical school. And now you're the, uh, you're the uh, admissions department at Harvard Medical School, and you're looking at two resumes, and both of these people have got straight A's. The difference is one of those people never scored over 25 on a test, and the other one scored 100% on every test, and there's no way to tell that from his academic record. And then let's go beyond that, because as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, medical schools are now segregating kids by race and accommodating people by race uh, to not require there to be any standards for achievement in medical school. Well, next time you're going into the doctor, next time you're going to the hospital, next time somebody's going to perform surgery on you or your child or your grandma, and you think, what if this is a kid that got 25% on everything, but his scores were artificially adjusted on the basis of equity to make him look like the kid with an IQ of 170, they got 100% on everything. You know, I always use this as an example. I was in the head of plastic surgery's office at uh, Washington University School of Medicine, and she's looking at applications for residency. And I said, well, doctor, every single one of these kids 
was number one in their class in, in high school, number one in their class in college, number one in their class in medical school, and now you have to decide amongst those people who gets this premier residency here at Washington University. It's a tough job. Well, that job would be made a whole lot tougher if there's absolutely no objective testing of who those people were, and you just had to guess. And guess what group of people will be advantageously affected by the lack of any objective testing. And then think about that scalpel. Get more Mark McCloskey at NewstalkSTL.com. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire on Newstalk STL. For podcast articles and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. Mark McCloskey on Fire. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire on Newstalk STL. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Mark McCloskey on Fire. I'm going to switch gears here a little bit and talk about the uh, the most recent political fiasco in the United States, the thing that may well sink us all, and that is the Orwellianly titled Fiscal Responsibility Act that was passed this week, uh, thanks to uh, Kevin McCarthy and, and Mitch McConnell and all the other rhinos out there that sold us down the river. Yeah, imagine this thing being called a Fiscal Responsibility Act. I mean, I mean, like, this is a small bill, comparatively, coming out of Congress. It's only 102 pages long, but it is the exact opposite of fiscal responsibility. You know, we always say that whatever the power, the powers that be, the power elites say, believe the exact opposite. Whatever they name something, turn the words around and use the exact opposite language, and you'll get the truth. Think Patriot Act, for example. Think Deficit Reduction Act, for example. Think Fiscal Responsibility Act. And the best part is that the Republicans, those rhinos, they sold this to us as a great achievement, like this wonderful victory over the left. Well, as Mike Lee said, with the Republicans like this, who needs Democrats, all right? So here's the real world on this. This is the Fiscal Responsibility Act, best case scenario. We get $1.5 trillion in savings over 10 years. Over 10 years. Well, think about this. We have this thing called elections. The entire United States House of Representatives goes up for election every two years. One-third of the Senate goes up for election every two years. What in the world is a sense of scheduling out budgets 10 years when that's going to be five different Congresses from now and everything's going to change all the time? But let's say best-case scenario you get $1.5 trillion over 10 years in savings. In exchange for that, you give them right now $4 trillion in additional spending. You gotta be living in Washington, D.C. You gotta be elected to some office, or you gotta have a big, big paycheck coming to you from some lobbyist to come up with the logic that spending $4 trillion more to get a trillion and a half dollars back over 10 years is a... Is a uh, fiscal responsibility, all right? It's absolutely insane. What do we get immediately? $12 billion in immediate savings, $12 billion, okay? For those of you who uh, went to school in Baltimore, um, there are 
a thousand thousand in every million. There are a thousand million in every billion. There are a thousand billions, a thousand billions in every trillion. Okay. So when you're talking four trillion dollars in more spending, that's four thousand billion dollars for which we get twelve billion dollars back right now. And that's called fiscal responsibility. And you know, even if you watch like Fox TV, they talk about this as being a bill to increase the debt ceiling. Like you got this ceiling over which we can't incur any more debt. Right now, the the uh, uh, federal deficit is about thirty two trillion dollars, thirty two thousand billion dollars. Right, um, this bill will bring it up to thirty six trillion dollars, thirty six thousand billion dollars, and that's considered to be fiscal responsibility. But what it doesn't do is cap the debt limit. It does the exact opposite. This bill has created a limitless amount of spending. It has removed the debt ceiling entirely. It, and by the way, you got to read page 98 of this bill, 9899, Temporary Extension of Public Debt Limit. This is Division D, Section 401, Paragraph A. In general... Section 3101, parens B of Title 31, United States Code, shall not apply for the period beginning on the date of the enactment of this act and ending on January 1, 2025. What does that mean, ladies and gentlemen? That means blank check until January 1 of 2025. No debt ceiling. The government can incur as much debt as it wants, as high a number as it wants, and by gosh, they will do it. And then you start saying, well, we've saved all this money. This, uh, this bill is going to um, reduce spending. In fact, it has, um, let's see, 81 sections titled Nothing More Than Rescission of Unobligated Funds. Sounds great, doesn't it? What, 81 different paragraphs of money that's going to be reduced or cut back. Except you got to actually read the bill. For example, here is discretionary spending limits for discretionary category. Section 101. Um, it says for fiscal year 2024, $886,349,000,000 in new budget authority. Next paragraph, another category. $703,651,000,000 in new budget authority. Next paragraph. $895,212,000,000 in new budget authority. Next one. $710,688,000,000 in new budget authority. You get to the bottom line, I could read on and on and on, but you get to the bottom line, and here's what it comes down to. This is the following discretionary spending limits shall apply. Fiscal year 2026, $1,621,621,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,
which included, amongst other things, $87 billion for more IRS agents to look down your throat and up your rear end to try to find ways to, to abuse conservatives. And there's no question now that the, that the IRS is being used to target conservatives, has been for some time. It's as weaponized as the FBI and the Department of Justice. It is a strong arm element of the federal government to scare you into smithereens and to make sure that you toe the line. Well, even on Fox News, even this morning, they're talking about how this Fiscal Responsibility Act has clawed back all that money and the F- and the IRS isn't going to get their, you know, new, um, what, 80,000 new agents to come and stare down your throat. The only problem is, it in fact, doesn't do that. But the language is so deceptive. It says, this is Title II, Section 251, rescission of certain balances made available to the Internal Revenue Service. Sounds great, doesn't they're going to rescind all that free money to the IRS. Um, however, you got to read it. It says, of the unobligated balances of amounts appropriated or otherwise made available uh, for activities of the Internal Revenue Service, guess what? As of the date of the enactment of this act, one billion three hundred eighty-nine uh, million um, are hereby rescinded. Two percent, right? Ninety-eight percent of the IRS budget under the uh, uh, Deficit Reduction Act still exists. What other lies did they tell us? They told us it would get, it would create uh, um, a uh, re- rescission of Joe Biden's student loan giveaway. It does not. All it does is it freezes it at the current level and doesn't allow the Department of Education to expand it beyond its current level. And then they say, well, we've uh, put a cap on uh, discretionary spending. We have uh, created a pay-as-you-go called PAYGO provision so that, uh, you know, everything that gets proposed, there has to be a way to pay for it. And that's uh, Section um, 263. And everybody says, wahoo. Everything's going to get capped, except Section 265. In general, the director, and that's the director of the Office of Management and Budget, um, Sholanda Young right now, the director may waive the requirements of Section 263 if the director concludes that the waiver A, or one rather, is necessary for the delivery of essential services or, two, is necessary for effective program delivery. In other words, um, Whatever they darn well please, and this and this um, pay go, this pay as you go provision is complete and absolute smoke and mirrors. It is complete nonsense. And guess what? How long did it take for Shalanda Young to say that she was going to use that waiver? She said it yesterday before this bill even passed. I mean, is this stinking ridiculous or what? Um, you know, earlier this year, the Republican Congress, the Republican House of Representatives, passed two important measures. One was called Limit, Save, Grow Act. It was H.R. 2811, okay? It put significant limits on new spending. It uh, um, rescinded unobligated funds and not little bits thereof. Hey, let me, di- let me digress. And on those 81 paragraphs of rescinding, this is, this is fun because you've got you to appreciate how the Republicans that we voted for are in conspiracy, and I use that word very broadly and very specifically, um, with the Democrats, with the swamp, to lie to us, right? And so, limitation on advance appropriations. Okay, um, let me let me give you um, some speci- the way they do this: rescissions of unobligated funds. That title sounds great, right? Under the Deficit Reduction Act, 
the government gave out all these trillions of dollars, and some of it's been spent, some of it hasn't even been been obligated, meaning designated where it's going to be spent. So it says, for example, all of the uh, unobligated funds made available under the heading Public Health Social Services Emergency Fund, Title III, Division A, Public Law, blah, 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 with the exception of $59 million. Next one, with the exception of two. A trillion dollars. Next one, with the exception of three hundred million dollars. Next one, with the exception of two hundred and forty-three billion million dollars. Exception of two hundred and five million dollars. Exception of seven point three trillion uh, billion dollars. Uh, hundreds, thousands, million, billions. Yeah, I'm reading, reading that right. Every one of these things has an except for, and so it sounds nice when the bill says eighty-one paragraphs of rescission of unobligated funds, except when you actually read it. And all it says is, eh, except for the money that's actually there. And then out of the, uh, um, um, what, $28 billion that they claim, ooh, we're going to claw back some of this uh, uh, COVID and CDC money that we've gone out and, and given them. $28 billion. $28 billion out of $4 trillion, right? And even with that, $22 billion of that is just going into a slush fund to be spent elsewhere. Total smoke and mirrors. But uh, the uh, 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 Congress passes this Limit, Save, and Grow bill, and uh, it uh, actually rescinds unobligated funds. Um, it prohibits the student loan giveaways. It uh, um, repeals market-distorting green tax credits. Um, it uh, provides the kind of relief for uh, – and, and by the way, it also requires – real work requirements for people getting food stamps and, and temporary assistance, which, by the way, despite what they tell you, this bill does not. This bill creates so many exceptions. And by the way, despite the fact that they sell it as a uh, um, work requirement, in the real world what it says is that the, that the chairman of the Treasury can select up to five states, not five states, not all states, not 50 states, but up to five states to engage in a pilot program to see what kind of negotiated work requirements they can agree with and how well they might work. And then after a period of time, they'll report back to Treasury and we'll see whether or not these up to five states' work requirement actually did some good. In other words, total, once again, BS and smoke and mirrors. But Congress also passed something back in January called the RAINS Act, which is regulation from the executive in need of scrutiny. And what that said was, that when all these unelected bureaucrats, when people in the IRS, when people in the CDC, when people in the National Institutes of Health, when these unelected bureaucrats pass regulations, they need to be scrutinized because the Constitution of the United States says only Congress can make laws. The vast majority of the laws that affect us every day are laws which were never seen by a congressman. They're laws created by bureaucrats who are unelected and against whom there is no recourse. And the, the RAINS Act, was going to put a limit on that. These two bills passed by Congress, by the House, the Arrange Act and the Limit Save and Grow Act, were eliminated from the Fiscal Responsibility Act, which once again, as is always the case with everything that comes out of the swamp, is the exact opposite of what it is. A total giveaway to the left. 31, 63% of Republican senators voted against it. 71 Republican congressmen and all the Democrats are gloating. As one said, the African-American representative from New York said today, Joe Biden kicked Kevin McCarthy's ass. The roof, the roof, 
the roof is on fire. We don't need no water, let the mother burn, burn mother burn. Get more Mark McCloskey at NewstalkSTL.com. This is Mark McCloskey on fire on News Talk STL. Hello, my name is Jimmy Pop and I'm a dumb white guy. I'm not- For podcast articles and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com.